Hello, and welcome to this latest episode of Tough Topics, conversations where politics and faith collide. My name is Paige Suffoletti. Today, with my friend Lydia, we're having a conversation about women's equality and what that means for us today. It's a wide-ranging conversation, and whether you leave it agreeing with everything we said or disagreeing with everything we said, our greatest hope is that our conversation spurs discussions of your own with people that you love. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy. Hello, welcome to Tough Topics, conversations about how faith and politics collide. Here, we want to be people who bring humanity and dignity into tough topics where we will agree in some areas and disagree in others. We're so glad you're here. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Lydia. And I'm Paige. Let's start with a prayer today. And I did not look up a fancy schmancy prayer. (laughs) I thought about it, but I really just want to pray from the heart this morning or this afternoon. So uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And Holy Father, we just come before you now and we ask that you give us wisdom and you give us um, humility and grace as we speak on this subject, Lord, that you will help us to say the things that you would have us to say and that we would be guided by your Holy Spirit in this topic. And God, we pray for the many women in, around the world, even in our own country today, Lord, that are still living in, um, oh gosh, what's the word? I forgot the word I wanted, but living in, in um, chains and bondage to this idea that we are not equal before you. And God, we pray that you will break those chains and that you will bring about freedom in all of these lives and so that all of us may be equal before you in your holy name we pray amen amen i love that um (laughs) so today you may have picked up on it um we are discussing women's equality so um one thing that's really important to us is listening to people's stories and perspectives and so that is what we're going to share with you today so lydia first question what is most important to you in this really large subject of women and women's equality um, and women's oppression? Um, what are you most passionate about and how has that changed over time? Um, so for me, this topic is one of the ones that I am most passionate about because it I feel like it's super important, but it's also one of my most triggering topics because I grew up in a home that there were very strict roles and emotions that were assigned to you based on your gender. So basically the worst stereotypes you can think of. And, and that was what we were set up as, you know, we were, we, you know, girls were emotional and emotions were defined by, you know, being weak and being, you know, those were, you know, it wasn't anger. Anger was an okay emotion, you know, anger, anger is not a, not a, not being emotional there. Well, if you're a man. Well, yeah. I mean, just anger wasn't, wasn't really considered an emotion. It was just considered, you know, a thing. And even females. Yeah. Oh, 
yeah so so yeah it was it was it was really weird i i had a really weird <laughs> weird upbringing uh, my dad was a narcissist and also my pastor. So the mm -hmm. only preacher really that I had contact with for many years because of how we grew up, we grew up on the mission field. And so he took a lot of those teachings about submission and women, you know, women being the weaker vessel and those type of things and manipulated them to fit his worldview, which was basically to keep my mom and us children from ever questioning his authority and his right to do whatever he darn well pleased. Um, you know, girls' places were in the home. They had, didn't really have a need for an education beyond high school because, you know, all we were going to do was have babies and keep the house clean. So, you mm -hmm. know, literally having a conversation with my parents. Remember, like, I was 19 years old and we were talking about me moving back to the States, potentially going to college and everything. And at the time, that was all I wanted to do was get married and have kids, you know, but my dad didn't know me, <laughs> really didn't know the real me and was like, so, you know, just being really careful here, you know, you don't really need to go after a career and all this stuff. And I was like, do you even know me? <laughs> you know, that was where I was at that time, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you definitely women can lead, they can be pastors, they were responsible to keep women from sin or men from sinning. So the entire responsibility for sexual purity was placed on the women. Um, and we were supposed to be dainty, quiet, fluff pieces to, you know, keep their <laughs> world organized and be their maids and be their outlet or Vicodin for their sexual urges. So um, as some of the, the um, pop very, some very popular sex education books put it, you know, mm -hmm. having it but However, my personality type is nothing like what is described, most of the verses that are used to describe women in scripture. I'm not meek, I'm not quiet. You know, I'm bold, I'm brave, I take charge, I lead, I never fit the mold. And so it wasn't that I didn't, wasn't trying to, I mean, I tried so much, you know, and I was so frustrated trying to fit my square little peg into that round hole and trying to make myself something that I wasn't. And, um, but the more I started studying the scripture, like on my own outside of church and just start, you know, I, I've always read the Bible a lot. Um, I, I, I don't know if I meant, I think I mentioned this in one of the earlier videos, but by the time I was 12, I'd read through the Bible multiple times, you know, cover to cover. And that was kind of a thing that I had always done is like gone through the Bible every year and read through it. I mean, yeah, I get stuck and I get behind and you know mm -hmm. have to catch up because Leviticus always bogged one down but you, you were I mean, perfect <laughs> no <laughs> shocker surprise you know but it was you know just reading that I started discovering I started seeing that women in the bible didn't match that mold either and right. I started right and I started seeing that it wasn't so much that the the that I was the problem my square pegness wasn't mm -hmm. the problem, but rather the teaching was the problem. There are many different pegs out there that women can fit into and that we aren't defined into one narrow role type. 
I mean, there's yeah. nothing wrong if that's what God's called you to do, even if that's what God's called you to do for a season of your life. Mm -hmm. I think it's wrong when we try to define everybody has to have that same calling, mm -hmm. you know, and like one of the very first areas that I discovered, this was the everybody's favorite, the Proverbs 31 woman. And she mm -hmm. was used and held up as an example of the perfect stay at home mom and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and, and she was always used as an example of stay at home mom. And I don't know why it didn't click until later on, but I was reading through Proverbs 31 for probably the hundredth time because mm -hmm. uh, for a while I was reading a proverb a day because mm -hmm. it fits. You can read a Proverbs through in a month mm -hmm. if you read a proverb a day. And so for a I did that for a long, long time. Anyways, mm -hmm. I was reading through that and I discovered that she wasn't a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> she was a working mom. She mm -hmm. was a businesswoman. Like she ran a business out of her home. She made all these, these things and she went out and sold them to the merchants in the marketplace. And she went and bought land and she managed her employees in her household and her employees took care of her children essentially because it never says anything about her taking care of her children she has somebody who does that for her you know and so that was that was just kind of an enlightening moment that it was like oh she's not who i was told she was mm -hmm. and i started looking into that and started seeing that more and then i saw well, what other areas was I told things about women that aren't really true, you know, mm -hmm. and I started looking at Deborah and Huldah, the prophetess to yeah. who interpreted scripture for the King Josiah. Um, when you look at um, the prophetess, oh my goodness, I, uh, is her name Elizabeth? I want to say it's Elizabeth, but I'm drawing a blank. The one in the New Testament who see, who along with Simeon, um sees baby jesus and um what's her name no drive me batty um i don't think it's elizabeth i know the story you're talking about yes, but i mean she was a prophet i don't remember her, her name but i know who you're talking about yeah right they but but what was touching for me was starting to see that these women were considered prophetesses that they were mm -hmm. women prophets in their own rights. Like they weren't just married to a prophet or they weren't, you know, she, this lady served in the temple after her husband died. Like she'd been a widow for 20 plus years and she was continuing to serve in the temple and was a leader and a teacher of the stuff of God's word in her own right. And so mm -hmm. I think what was what was good, what was pivotal for me there is learning that none of these were exceptional. Mm -hmm. Like God doesn't, you know, create a thing that says, oh, and by the way, this one woman, this one time I gave this special gift to, but uh -huh. everybody else is excluded from that gift. Mm -hmm. Like this wasn't the exception to the rule. This was God showing this is the rule. Like mm -hmm. women are just as included as men are. Women are just as included. And so I'm really passionate about seeing women take their rightful place in the church and in their talents. You know, I, I really have started to become worried 
about how our teachings have impacted women and their talents and their abilities. Because we have so many women who have a ton of talents and a ton of abilities, but because they are women, they are not utilizing those talents and abilities because, you know, that's not acceptable to the men in the church. And so for us, it's kind of a thing that I'm like, you know, I want, I want to see them. I'm tired of 50% of the congregation being ignored. You know, they don't have anybody who speaks to them for them, you know, from their Mm -hmm. perspective. And so um, the story of the master who gives out the money to his servants and gives them a talent, we, we've always used that as talents, you know, talents were a type of money back then, but we can mm-hmm. also apply that to t- being talents in, in, you know, in All our things gifts and our abilities and yeah. things like that. And I wonder how many women will stand before God with that one talent that's wrapped up in a napkin because the church told her she couldn't use that. Yeah. And, and, you know, that just makes me sad. You know, it just, it makes me really sad and it makes me really feel less, you know, women have been told that they're less than it. They've, we've been, we've, (laughs) we've been told that, you know, we don't have rights. Men who don't know anything about our bodies are telling us how our bodies are supposed to function in a marriage they're they're telling us you know all how they have to listen to her husband even when her husband is wrong even when her husband is making bad decisions mm-hmm. you know and and all of this is doesn't line up with what the bible teaches us yeah you know and when we look at how women were equal women were equal in the beginning you know when god yeah. created them he created them as co-equals just mm-hmm. because Eve was created second and because she was created to help him doesn't mean she is less than him. And I'll get into, you know, the help me word and terminology a little bit later, mm-hmm. but how, how I that, was hoping you would, I had enough <laughs> stuff that I couldn't, I don't, I don't need to take stuff out of what I wanted to say. So I'm glad you I'm yeah, gonna yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Great. I love I, I found, found out some stuff and I, I just love learning yes. how that, how that interacts together. But the mm-hmm. whole idea is that we were created equal together and we should be treated as equals. Now, this is not something new. This is not something, oh, women's live is coming in and, and changing this, you know, Paul yes. says that there is no male or female before mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm you know, there's no difference mm-hmm. in how God sees us. There is no difference in our roles. I mean, yes, physically there are differences, um, but you know, there's, there's not differences in the fact that our spiritual abilities and our spiritual growth and how we can work with one another, none of that differs. And so mm-hmm. though from the beginning, we were created to be equal Christ rede- in Christ's redemption, we are also commanded to be treated as equals. And mm-hmm. so um, that's where I've come to from the far, far other side where it was very much segregated and very much taught that I was, you know, basically a second class citizen because I was a yeah. girl um, to now believing that I am an equal and I am 
and equal in all rights, you know, whether it's, you know, running a business or in the church, you know, I have equal rights to speak as a man does. If I feel called to preach, then that is what I should be doing because that's what God has called me to do. And it's better to obey God rather than men. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Yes. Yes. Uh, But what does that look like for you? What, what has your journey looked like as you, you know, grown up and where did you start out and where did you end up? Yeah. So first I want to circle back. It was, um, Simeon and Anna. Anna. Yes. I, you said Elizabeth and then that's the only name I could think of. It's Anna. So Luke two, 36 and third talks about Anna. So just to clarify that it was going to bother me and that's all I would have been able to think about because <laughs> that is my personality. I so. know, right? <laughs> like get that thing in there and then you can't get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So as far as, um, my experience, I come from a really complementarian view of women's roles, not just inside of marriages, not just inside of churches, but inside of like secular situations as well. And so I would have been um, in agreement with like the John Pipers and the John MacArthur's of the world and the American church, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought men were supposed to be in leadership and dominance over women in all areas, not just in marriages and churches, but, um, I mean, I remember, you know, forever hearing all these Christian men saying how like unethical and immoral it would be for like a woman to be president, um, or for a woman to be like president of a company or to be like a leader over men in any sort of way. I mean, I was reading John Piper articles where he was like, or maybe it was his podcast at the time. I don't remember, but, um, it was talking about like, okay, well, what can women do in the workplace? Like what jobs can women have? And it's like, well, you know, he has this ethic and I I mean, he would be very disappointed in how I'm remembering it, (laughs) but it's just, he had like a matrix of several things where it's like, you know, you can't have a woman in authority over a man. And he had like kind of different Mm. ways to look at this, but I just remember him saying like, well, being a traffic, a person who, you know, organizes traffic lights in a city has leadership over a man she's controlling where men are driving but she does not have direct control over a man and so it would be fine for her to set up traffic lights in a city where she controls men in traffic lights that you look I'm so sorry I'm trying so hard not to laugh I'm trying very hard to be respectful of his view um but I would like to note for the record that it is difficult um so I'm having a really hard time over here too I mean literally and so he's like saying okay it's fine to be like a uh you know a person who directs traffic it would be less fine or even maybe in his view you know not fine at all for you to uh you know be leading a team of men and you don't have a man over you you know those kinds of so, I mean, it was, I was just really into the minutia of like, yeah, being an actual traffic cop who's standing on the corner directing men where to go. That's, 
no longer okay but the maybe yeah I yeah. don't know how what he would but he I mean it was just from like the and I had never even when I heard that I was like oh like controlling where traffic lights go is like controlling men and like he's it, it was just yeah so not even just in in kind of marriages should men be leaders but like women have to consider whether or not their job is leading men in a way that would step on their manhood and things like that. And so I was really stuck in that. I mean, I remember being told by a leader that I was, that was an authority over me who was a man as I was kind of wrestling through these things and saying like, you know, can a woman be a pastor? Like can a woman teach inside of a church? I was reading some scriptures and coming in contact with some things that kind of had me, I, I had not been convinced by any means, <laughs> but I was starting to think about these things. And I had a leader that was, you know, in authority over me at the time, who is not anymore, um, tell me that the fact that I could read scripture and potentially think it was permissible for a woman to teach or be a pastor is further proof that women cannot accurately interpret scripture. So, and that stuck with me like that really did. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a conversation with a friend one time, like a dear friend, mm -hmm. a friend whose dad actually taught me a lot of the anti-women and that's what I will call it. He, he is anti-woman. I do not think every complementarian is anti-woman. This particular person, I would definitely be comfortable using those words and I don't use them lightly. Um, he taught me like, you know, her father <laughs> taught me a lot of these things. And one time we were, you know, um, sitting in a car and she's several years older than me, but I mean, she's one of my best friends and we were talking and I was really wrestling with all of this. Like I didn't, I have these like leadership qualities. I have these like teaching qualities and I'm really trying to figure out, I thought maybe that was to be a school teacher. And then I was in a season where I was like, I really do not want to be a school teacher, <laughs> Um, and I was trying to figure it out and I was talking to my friend and I said, you know, like, I really, I'm like looking around and I just really think that if I were a man, I would probably be a pastor, but I get like, I guess the closest thing I can do is marry a pastor. <laughs> and I like say this out loud and I'm like really struggling with it. And she's like so kind and so loving and so generous. And she just kind of quietly sat there and said something to the effect of, you know, I just don't think God has different roles like that for men and women. And that's all she said. And I thought she was wrong <laughs> <laughs> because every man in my life had told me she was wrong. <laughs> right. And, Interesting how the men are the ones that tell us that, they're, uh -huh. that we're wrong when we start thinking these things. But I love this woman and I trust her and she's my friend. And like, not only that, but like, she's several years ahead of me. And I like genuinely respected her opinion. And I like knew she loved the Lord and like, she was a mentor, you know, she was my friend, but also some, you know, she still is like a person that I talk to when I don't know what to do. And, you know, like I trust her and she said that. And I just, I thought she was wrong because that's what I believed at the time. But, um, I really sat with that. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I never, I never forgot it. And so I, you know, at that time 
really did believe that like in Genesis, God created men to rule over women as his design pattern, to be leaders Mm -hmm. over women as his goal and, you know, design and purpose and intention. So like even before sin, Um, like that, that is genuinely what I, what I believed at the time. And now I see Genesis one and two a little bit differently. Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, God didn't take Eve from Adam's foot to show that he is eternally, you know, she's internal, eternally inferior to him and at his feet, you know, God formed Eve from Adam's side, his rib, his center. And I think that really symbolizes that they were meant to be partners together, co-rulers over creation. And it's after the fall Mm -hmm. that we see human beings are cursed with patriarchy and men ruling over women and women wanting to rule over men. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a curse. It's a binding of sin that we Mm -hmm. are now free from in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I hold now to a theologically egalitarian view and it's not that I don't see differences in biological males and biological females. I mean, it's very clear that they're like, I think sometimes there's this view that like, oh, egalitarians just want there to be no difference between men and women. And, you know, gender doesn't matter. And, you know, all these things kind of get assigned. I mean, I have eyeballs. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that men, biological males and biological females are not the same. I Mm -hmm. can have uh, children. I I can birth a child. My husband has to get prostate exams. I don't have to do that. I have to get gynecological exams. He does not have to do that. Like we are, we are different people and nobody, I don't think anybody here is trying to say that there is no biological difference in men and women. So I just want to be very clear about that because I think that is something that gets like thrown out a lot when you start talking about men and women being equal. And it's like, that's ridiculous. You can see in biology that men and women are different. Right. Agreed. (laughs) I was reading an article actually just before I came on that was talking about how we've, we've taken that a little bit too far. Like instead of saying, yes, there are differences in men and women, and in most cases, this is what those differences look like. We have made it to be all men should and do look like this, and all yes. women should and do look like this. Yeah. And and that's that's not the truth, you know. And so I've been doing a lot of studying with godly people that I, you know. I trust that I've mm-hmm. learned to trust over the years that they, they do well and that they've taught me how to look at the gender differences and understanding mm-hmm. that there are differences, but that those differences can vary within the genders as well. And like, culture. And what culture. What womanhood and- looks like in one culture and what womanhood looks like in another culture is very different. And what it seems like to me is we are trying to force all men and all women into this one really particular cultural application of what we think manhood and womanhood should be. Mm -hmm. And we're ignoring other cultures that see it differently. We're ignoring what scripture says. We're ignoring Mm -hmm. all of these other things because we're trying to fit 
you know, we're, we're taking biological difference to a conclusion that I don't think scripture actually takes it to. <laughs> right. Right. And absolutely. so now I would qualify as an egalitarian. Um, and that just would mean that I believe that men and women inside of marriages and, and just in general are supposed to be partners. We're supposed to use our gifts together. Um, in culture, in the church, in marriages that we would be co-creating, co-suffering, co-ruling, co-reigning. We see in scripture, in the New Testament, that there is no hierarchical distinction in the kingdom. There is no male or female or Jew or Gentile, as Paul says. And so, of, of course, like, there are still biological differences. I can have a baby and my husband cannot. But the scripture isn't denying differences in biology. It's critiquing the human built hierarchy that is a result of sin being present in the kingdom of God. Right. That is the critique. It's not saying men and women are not different, but it's saying the result of sin, which is hierarchy and patriarchy, mm-hmm. which I guess if somebody doesn't understand what we mean by that, because maybe they're like some trigger words, Hierarchy just means that like some people are, you know, some humans have authority over other humans. Some humans are more important. Like it can mean different things. And patriarchy just means that like men rule over women. (laughs) The system is set up so that men are in charge and it's that way on purpose. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I mean by those words. I mean, Lydia, you could clarify that yourself. I I think I understand those to be the same, the same thing. Like hierarchy is there's a, there's a, there's a, a differentiation of power that goes stems mm-hmm. from one source. And we can look at the umbrella theory that Goddard yeah. put out and some of those other ones, but yeah. realistically we're all under Christ and we're to be co-laborers together with him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So like, hierarchy would be like the general term then you have different kinds of hierarchies you have racial hierarchy and you have gender hierarchy which we call patriarchy there's Mm. you know class hierarchy all sorts of it and like what we Mm. see in scripture is that gender ethnicity class all of those human-made remnants of sin have no place in the kingdom of god exactly and so it's just very clear and i just i mean I'll be really honest. I think it is so irresponsible that 2000 years later, we still are saying scripture is saying things that I just really think is, is not what it's saying at all. So relating to government and society and politics, um, I want in my life to be a person who focuses on leveling the playing field Mm -hmm. and creating equal access for men and women, because we have set up structures in our country and in our culture and in our communities and in our churches that give men more advantage and power over women in really specific ways. Men have more power. They have more opportunity. They have less setbacks. And I'll discuss this more in my next question, but I feel like that is a good overview. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So how have you felt misunderstood 
when it comes to these kinds of discussions and women's equality and oppression and women's issues. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest misunderstanding comes from people who think that I hate men. Yeah. Like just all men are mm-hmm. men are pigs, you know, that whole, mm-hmm. that whole ideology, you know, I want, I hate men. I want to lord over men. All mm-hmm. men are, you know, disgusting. Da, 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 mm-hmm. da. And that couldn't be further from the truth from Mm -hmm. the truth um part of what is so important with this is that studies has actually shown that not only are these beliefs harmful to women but they also harm the men who believe them like it puts them in a situation where they don't have the checks and balances that they need to have in their Mm -hmm. lives they don't they can't have as rich of a relationship with their wives if they're seeing their wives as a child, essentially, that they have to rule over, if they're looking at it from that, that, that perspective, when they're taught that they can't control their sexual urges, that they're just, you know, doomed to constantly be in these, you know, books like Every Man's Battle and mm-hmm. For Men Only and all of these books, Love and Respect that go on and on and talk about, you know, how, you know, women are men's Vicodin for their sexual releases and, Mm -hmm. and how that men just have absolutely no control. That's nonsense. That takes away from them. One, me being able to see them as a brother in Christ and have a good relationship that takes away their ability to relate to half of their half of their congregation, you know, if this is a pastor or if it, if it's just a brother in Christ, it takes away from rich blessings of having women who can speak into your life. You know, Paul tells Timothy to treat the younger women as sisters and the older women as mothers, mm-hmm. you know, to have those depth, in-depth relationships that you would have with a sister or a mother. You can't do that if you see me as a temptation all the time you know and it's you know it's not because of how I'm dressed or anything I mean I could be dressed head to toe in a burka and (laughs) you know my toes show and suddenly you know because toes are the only things that are showing you know suddenly toes become sexualized Mm -hmm. you know because Mm -hmm. men it doesn't matter what we're wearing it matters how you're taught to think about us and if men are taught that this is the only way that they can think, then it hurts their relationships long-term with, mm-hmm. with us. And it hurts them in the fact that they can't show emotions. You know, uh, when the teaching is women are so emotional and showing emotions like sadness or, you know, compassion is a sign of weakness, then we get these men who can't show compassion, can't show sorrow, can't repent, Mm -hmm. you know, can't show godly sorrow because they can't. And so it, it really just deprives them of a full life. It deprives Mm -hmm. them of equal partnership when it Mm -hmm. comes to worship. It deprives them of equal partnership when it comes to the family and the Mm -hmm. life in a life that they're living whether they're single or married you know being able to have solid relationships with someone of the opposite or equal gender Mm 
you know, they can't have as good of friendships with men even because of Mm -hmm. we've sexualized friendships so much in this country. Like if two guys are seen hanging out and talking together, you know, are they gay? (laughs) You know, and then we get into that, you know, that whole deal. Mm -hmm. So like just really being able to have a good full a full life because we do this. And then I think the other misunderstanding is how far we've come, you know, in the idea of what it used to be like for women in this country Mm -hmm. and how it's not been that long ago that it was that way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the idea that um, a lot of women who support the submission culture, so to speak. You know, I grew up in that culture. I I know what it's like. I supported it at one time, Mm -hmm. you know, but we, when you're inside of it, you aren't, you don't really realize what rights we have because Mm -hmm. of the women's lib movement, because the women's lib movement is demonized and it's made to seem like well, we don't want to stay, we don't ever want to take care of children. They hate children. They don't want to stay at home. You know, it's just kind of this hate, hate, hate theory. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, it, you don't realize what it, what we went through to get there and why it was important to get those rights. Like I, I saw the film, I don't know if you're familiar with it called Iron Jawed Angels. Have you read that one? You should, I think every girl should watch that movie at some point in her life because it is so, it shows how important it was to get the right to vote Mm -hmm. and what they went through to get it. Mm -hmm. Like they used the only thing they ended up having at their disposal and that was refusing to eat. And then they were forced that. It was, it's, it's gruesome, honestly, that part is, but it was super important to watch that for me because along with that came the, came the realization that they couldn't do anything without Mm -hmm. a husband or a father's permission. Like Mm -hmm. there's one point in the story, one of the ladies who's very well to do, she's married to a wealthy man. She has two children and she starts getting involved in with the the um, suffrage suffragette movement and mm-hmm. she's out there you know and he finds out that she's doing it and he's like well I'm just going to take away your allowance basically you can't have access to the money and I'm sent I sent the kids to my mom's and you aren't allowed to see them anymore and she's like she was like you know, trying to figure out what she could do. And really she had no options. He controlled everything. She couldn't open a bank account. She couldn't get a, hire a lawyer. He could make her look like an incompetent mother. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, that's how it was set up. And so, he, so if someone was abusive, like we we don't consider, you know, we consider like he wasn't abusive in that situation. He, you know, Mm -hmm. there were good, there are, were and are good men who didn't Mm -hmm. use that system. Like they gave their, their wives anything they wanted pretty much. You know, this is also the time when we were giving women lobotomies because they had emotions. Right. So like, 
Right. I mean, there's, there's a ton of cutting women's brain, brains open because they had PMS. Okay. Like this is what we were doing. (laughs) Right. Right. And so when you look at this and you say, you know, if there was somebody who was being abused, if there was somebody who was physically being hurt, they had no way to get out. And nobody cared. It was normal to do that. Right. The rule of thumb you know where we get that from? Where? From the law that stated that the man couldn't leave a mark on his wife that was bigger than his thumb. Oh, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Was wider than his thumb. So he couldn't use anything to beat her with anything that was yeah. larger than his, was bigger around than his thumb. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, so that's where we came from. Like there were laws that allowed women to literally be beat and there was nothing mm-hmm. anyone could do about it. They could take away your children. They could, you know, do anything. And there was nothing you could do about it. And those antiquated ideas still influence much of our laws and much as m- many of our judges and some of our rulings even today. I mean, I know that, for example, it's harder right now for a man to get custody of his kids than for a woman, typically, but it is also very hard for a woman to prove domestic abuse in court Mm -hmm. and to keep her children from her husband once they've gone through a divorce, Mm -hmm. even if he's been abusive, like there is really, you know, it's really hard. I see this a lot in some yeah. of the the um, the groups that I'm a part of that deal with you know recovering from trauma and recovering from those type of things. And we see um, men or women who are getting out of abusive relationships and trying to figure out, okay, how do I manage this when my husband is getting 50/50 custody? Mm-hmm. And I can't be there anymore to protect them, mm-hmm. you know, and he's lying to them about me and he's lying to the courts about me, or he quit his job so that he doesn't have to pay child support, you know, and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of things and how these laws are still being, these ideas are still impacting today's thought processes mm-hmm. and today's society. And it impacts how our laws are made and, you know, even the idea that, you know, even abortion laws to a, to a degree can, can be impacted by this and how we view women and how, you know, we view the reproductive process and whether or not the, you know, well, we often say, well, she, you know, if it was her choice to have sex. So she should, she should, you know, carry the consequences. Well, what about the man? You know what I mean? What about the man who had sex with yeah. her, who created that child? Where's and that's also really offensive to me as a sexual assault uh, victim right. because I did not always um, have a choice in when I have had sex in my life. Right, and so like I hear that all the time too, and I also hear that like you know, and we'll, we'll talk about abortion more in depth, but Mm. I think it has a lot to do with, with women and how our society views women. 
it's like, okay, well, women must like women who get pregnant outside of marriage just must be whores or sluts or whatever kind of word you want to use, not understanding that like, you know, men can rape women. Men can decide whether or not they wear a condom Mm -hmm. and have sex with you anyway. Like, and I know that might be, you know, vulgar or whatever. And, you know, I apologize if this is like a conversation that's uncomfortable for somebody, but when we say things like this about women and we think that women are these horrible, awful monsters that we have to protect fetuses from, like, I'm sorry, that just isn't, that right. isn't something that I'm going to believe about women. <laughs> mm. Right. And I exactly. think we have to be really careful. I, I think that you can be super pro-life and, and think that zero babies should ever be aborted and still not talk about women like they're monsters. Right. And still not talk about women. Like every time you get pregnant outside of marriage, it's your fault. And also, even if it is, let's not talk about women like they're horrible, awful people. Right. Because believe it or not, I don't want your help. If you think I'm a monster, Mm -hmm. I don't want your help. If you think I'm a whore. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like it's not good for your cause to Mm. say these things about women. It's, you know, like not only is it offensive and not biblical, it also isn't helpful to your cause. (laughs) Yep. So what areas do you think you have felt most most misunderstood about women's equality in in this, this conversation, like you've been misunderstood by people, um, over time. And how do you feel like that has been impactful for you? Yeah. I mean, similarly to you, I just think I so often get painted as this angry feminist liberal who hates all men and just wants women in charge of everything. And I want a better job, (laughs) right. I just want men to burn in shield forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Like that is the, like, that is what kind of gets placed on me a lot of the time. And I say this in jest, but like people really, really believe some of these things, um, Mm -hmm. people that I know and people that I talk to. And I mean, (laughs) I laugh because I think it's just so ridiculous. I think anybody who knows me understands that that is not true, but I do get those accusations. And so how I kind of want to handle some of where I'm misunderstood is by saying a few things that I do believe. Right. Mm. Um, because I think sometimes so many things get applied onto what I believe. And Mm -hmm. so I just want to take this time to clear some of that up and just say (laughs) some things that I do affirmatively believe about this issue. So number one, I think men in this country, and let's be honest for all of time, (laughs) Uh, all of the arc of history have power over women. I know that is not true in every micro situation, but it is absolutely true in the macro Mm -hmm. in that, you know, while there might be situations where a woman is a traffic guard and has all that power over a man (laughs) momentarily, (laughs) or, you know, maybe we all can come up with examples where women, you know, might have oppressed men in some situation, but for for the majority in the macro sense, men have power over women and they always have. 
Mm-hmm. And um, for a large portion of time in our history, women and children and animals were just property and women specifically were a financially burdensome piece of property unless we could produce enough male heirs to make up for our financial burdens. And so historically <laughs> and presently, um, men and women aren't equal. And so that's the first thing I, I can say, I believe. Secondly, I believe that in this country, our strategy has been to very reluctantly <laughs> try and level the playing field in ways that have turned out to be pretty insufficient in a lot of areas. Now, there are a lot of ways that people talk about this disparity. Conservatives, in my opinion, and what my opinion used to be, um, is that they would believe that men and women currently do have equal opportunities, and they feel that, you know, overt sexism has been remedied legally with things like voting rights and the ERA and laws against pay discrimination. And a subset of those people, um, myself previously included, actually believe that we've gone too far in trying to achieve equality and that we have turned into this unfair society that oppresses men uh, and elevates women. I actually went on a first date with somebody who believed this, um, which is why I think you should always talk about politics on your first date. Yeah, uh, because it's very you, important. Yeah, he told me that he believed that white Christian men were the most discriminated against population in our country. This was in 20, this was before the election in 2016. Um, I'm sure you can imagine we had a nice little spicy combo where I yelled at him in a <laughs> breakfast pub. But um, other than that, <laughs> so like I know people who believe this. This is not a caricature oh, yeah. of conservatives. Like I was friends with this man and went on a date with him, you know, right. like. I know like, this I, I, know I know these people, these people mm-hmm. I went to church with. I it used to be this person. Right, exactly. I, I was this person for mm-hmm. a, a period of time in my adult life where I was like, uh, you know, like I said, before I watched that, that film that kind of opened my eyes to what it was like prior to having the right to vote you know, that kind of opened it up to be like, okay, well, where, you know, where's that still playing part in, in today's society, you know, Mm -hmm. and that kind of opens it up to see, you know, where we're, where we're at and where things still aren't the greatest. I had friends that I, you know, went, didn't go to college with, but I was in a women's group. And I have to say, you know, as a business owner in Springfield, you know, I'm a woman, women's business owner, and there are quite a few groups that are geared towards women and helping women with their, with their businesses and stuff. And and that's great. You know, I've tried to find similar things that are just male for my husband and I don't really find them. I find, you know, a mixed group or an all women's group, but I won't find just a guy's group, but that, that actually was born that women's group that I was a part of was actually born out of the fact that it was an all boys club when they came, when they started, you know, these were mm-hmm. women who came up in that era and that, you know, one of the women was like, my professor failed my, me in my accounting class because I was a woman for no other mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. I passed the test, mm-hmm. but he failed me anyways, because I was a woman. And I would, I just sat there in shock, you know, because 
I mean, she's older than me. Yeah, but she wasn't right. that much older than You're me. not dead. What do you mean? This has happened in your lifetime? Yeah, yeah. Like these were, you know, and, and some of those professors are still teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so that's, that's how that, that impacts today. Sorry, I kind of took over your little speech there, but I was just trying to, you know, yeah, show, like you know, the reality, yeah. these are mm-hmm. real people out there, you okay. know, and it's not just us making something up. No, we really know people like this. We, mm-hmm. you know, I've had people tell me, you know, I'm awful for having my own business or running my own business or going back to school when I had little kids mm-hmm. and sending them to daycare you know, because that was the worst thing I could have done for my children. Right. Yeah. Um, And I also just want to say, like, for people who are conservative that might be listening, and if you've made it this far, I meant to say this a little bit earlier, but then I think we kind of went, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like a thought popped up, and then we ended up kind of down the highway a little bit, and I forgot. But I know that people who are going to listen to this and and totally disagree. And I I know genuine people. I mean, I was one of them that like held to a really complimentarian view. And I genuinely believed that I was doing the right thing and I was believing the right thing. And so I don't want somebody like to listen to this and think that like, we think you're evil and horrible and (laughs) no, no, not at all. Like, but we're going to show that like, we used to genuinely also have those opinions and we're just trying to show like how those have changed over time. And so, um, yeah, I just want to say that I don't want it to come across that. Like we think people who believe differently than us are awful people. Um, we're just thankful that you would listen to our stories and hear how we have kind of changed our minds over time. So, and, and to recognize that though, I think the big thing for me is to help people recognize that while you may not have a a hateful idea about this, you may be genuinely, you know, you don't see women as lesser than in that sense, or you're not, you know, oppressing them yourself. This kind of teaching actually allows women to be oppressed and women to be abused. And it leads to, abuse and oppression, whether you are actually perpetrating that oppression or abuse yourself or not. And and I think that's where it's important for me. Like I'm super passionate about this because I saw where it led. Yeah. Not everyone takes it to that conclusion. And there are some Mm -hmm. very loving people that I know that I've talked to and had conversations about this. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't see how anyone could take this and believe that that's what the Bible is saying you know, any logical person would, would not have this for, for, would not be able to draw that conclusion. I'm like, but you're not working with someone who's logical and that's the problem. Yeah. People. And I also think like, even at your most generous, so the people in my past who were most generous to me and most kind and would say things like men and women are equal in value. Like we don't think men are any more valuable. We just think that they're different in roles and distinct in roles. And, you know, so they're trying to uphold and I I respect what they're trying to do, like, you know, upholding Mm. their respect and dignity in women, but also telling them that they can't be pastors. And so for me, like I, and I don't think that I will ever be 
like an actual ordained minister who knows mm. where that my life will lead, but that isn't something I know. I mentioned that earlier, you know, I said, mm. if I were a man, I thought I would be a pastor. It, that was just me trying to grapple with like, what can a woman do in the church? Mm. <laughs> so right. I don't necessarily still think that like pastor or minister is like what I'm looking to do or where I'm called to be, but like teaching scriptures definitely is. And so those, even the most well-meaning people who were telling me, no page, like patriarchy and hierarchy inside of church doesn't mean that you're less valuable than men. Like you're, you're equally valuable. You just have different roles. What those people were doing, what in their best intentions, they were telling me that I wasn't allowed to do what God was calling me to do. Mm-hmm. That is what happened. Yeah. And their best, most generous, most kind interpretation of complementarianism. They were still preventing me from doing what God had called me to do. Mm-hmm. And so like, that is what I really want to focus on. I, I know that the people who were just hateful and awful and horrible are not going to be this far, right? That's right. not, they aren't going to listen. <laughs> Those people, the people who genuinely think women are inferior to men are not going to be listening to two women talking about women's equality, right? Like that's just not who's here. <laughs> nope. nope. And so while we can talk about those things and talk about how they aren't a caricature, we also <laughs> know that like, that's not who's here with us today. And so for the people who are, but who might really fiercely disagree with us, I would just say like, my experience is that those people prevented me from doing what God had called me to do until I decided to say, I'm going to follow God and what God is calling me to do, regardless of what these particular male authorities are telling me. And I looked to the example of women who were doing it, who were preaching and teaching to men and women. <laughs> and, men and women? Oh, How dare they? Um, and there was fruit, you know? And so, yeah, I kind of got off of my notes. So I'll, I'll bring it back on track. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, I mean, we have built this country in our churches, in our communities, in a system that has the idea that women do not have the same rights as men. That's what it was built on. This is the foundation. We know what Jesus says about a foundation. If you build a bad foundation, your house isn't going to stand. Mm-hmm. And so we've built this country and, the, you know, churches and communities in this, in this place. And I want to say not everywhere in the globe has done this. So this is, this is not exclusively an American problem, but it is definitely not a global problem. Um, but we've built these systems on a rotten foundation. And while we have taken away some of the bricks of oppression, you know, we've done a little Jenga situation (laughs) where we take away some of the things we haven't actually ever fixed the foundation, We have taken some of the explicit bias away 
in some laws and things like that. But there are centuries and millennia of patriarchal culture embedded into where we are today. And that doesn't just get fixed by taking away a couple of blocks from the Jenga tower. The system wasn't built for women in mind. We could literally go through a litany of issues. And I know you've mentioned some of them and we might mention more, but even just when we look at wage, women still make less money than men. Black women make even less than white women. And these are like women in similar roles and experiences to men. And we have to look at this and we have to ask why. Why is it different? Well, um, there are lots of reasons, but especially this year, we're seeing this disparity more than ever <laughs> um, with the pandemic and women having to stay home and take care of children who all of a sudden are no longer in school. <laughs> Surprise. Uh -huh. um, women have a harder time building tenure because they have things like babies that are required to keep our planet going. <laughs> they have to take maternity leave and men don't have to do that. They don't have to worry about losing their jobs. They don't have to worry about being fired for being pregnant. And people might say, oh, well, that's illegal. And it's like, yeah. Um, also talk to all the women who've been fired for being pregnant, uh, despite it being illegal, <laughs> you know, like Had that it ha happened to somebody I knew it literally happens or you get fired on maternity leave, or you don't get maternity leave. Well, US or, is or, or in the bottom, what, bottom five for maternity leave worldwide. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they, like men don't have to worry about these same things. This is just like 30 seconds on just one teeny tiny sliver of inequality. I mean, I could literally go on forever, but there's so many things that women have to worry about that men don't have to worry about. I mean, my own mother, she was a police officer in the nineties and two thousands and believe it or not, that's kind of a male dominated society, oh, <laughs> especially really? in the nineties and two thousands. <laughs> and she was a single mom and she had a lot of help from my grandparents, which was great. Um, and that allowed her to go back to school and to be a police officer. And she ended up um, rising to be an investigator for a prosecuting attorney. The previous investigator was a man. And the county offered her a salary that was just very low. And her boss, who was a man, the prosecutor, who, um, you know, still is the prosecutor, actually, he was like, he went to the county and he was like, hey, this is not okay. You know that if she were a man, this is not the salary you would be offering her. Like, you know that a, a man with her experience coming into this role would not get this offer and you need to make it right. And this was in the 2000s. He fought for her to have a more equal salary. Um, like, I know people who this has happened to. And in my lifetime, like I was alive when my mom was being given a salary that was half of what a man would have gotten, you know, like I was alive for this. And so, um, like it's not equal. <laughs> it hasn't been equal and we aren't at a place where it is. 
And so I just, you know, we're just kind of quickly going, going through this, but like things still aren't equal. And I genuinely believe that. I also believe that Paul, you know, big guy in the Bible demands that the only biblical option, the only Christian option, the only option in the kingdom of God is that we level the playing field and move towards equality. I genuinely believe that that is what Paul says is the only kingdom option. Paul over and over again continually gives different instructions to different churches. We all know this because we can pull verses where one says to do one thing and another verse to another church says something opposite. (laughs) We see this. It's not a surprise that Paul gives different commands to different churches based on their specific contexts. But while the instructions might be different to different churches, and that can be confusing, Paul's ethic is always the same. His instruction, his specific instructions to churches are different, but his ethic is the same. And his ethic is equalizing power dynamics between gender and between race and between class every time. That is his ethic. And so while we get different types of instructions in different cities and different communities and different places, we met, we take those instructions and we miss the ethic that is causing him to give these instructions. We take the verses and we're like, see, this is what it says. And that's mm-hmm. the plain reading. And mm-hmm. that's what we're all going to do. Even though you can pull a verse that totally contradicts another verse that's a couple of chapters away. And so we pick these verses. And when we do that, we miss the whole ethic that Paul is talking about. We miss his entire picture when we take the commands instead of the ethic behind the commands, which is his whole point. So we love Ephesians 5. We love it. We come in at verse 22, though, instead of verse 21, (laughs) because (laughs) verse 21 doesn't fit into our view of marriage. But so we, we... Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another mm-hmm. in reverence for Christ. We start in verse 22, where it says, wives submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, see, only wives are supposed to submit. But no, no, no. Paul in verse 21, submit to one another in reverence for Christ wives submit to your husbands. This part is nothing radical. Wives are already culturally and legally required to submit to their husbands. This is what women are already doing. Mm -hmm. The radical part comes next. Men, how are men to submit? By loving their wives like Christ loves the church. That is a submitting love. That is a self-sacrificial love. That is a love where Jesus gave his power away for the benefit of us. That is the radical part. But when we skip verse 21, where it says, submit to one another. How? Wives, do the thing you're already doing. Husbands, 
submit by loving your wives like Christ loved the church. Mm. That's radical. But we skip verse 21. And so we just say, well, wives are the ones who are supposed to submit and husbands are the ones that are supposed to love. No, no, no. We are both to submit. And the one who has more power, husbands, have a higher calling of submission. Mm-hmm. Because they have all the cards, they have all the power, they have all the benefit. My mom's boss had more power and he used his power for her equality. Mm-hmm. He used his, like, he's an elected official. Him going to the city and like, or the county and making a big stink about her pay could have cost him his job next time. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like, it's not even hyperbolic. What he did could have cost him his reelection and he did it anyway. He gave his power away for the benefit of a single mom. Mm -hmm. That is loving someone like Christ loves the church, risking it all for them. And, you know, I mean, we just pull these verses and miss the whole ethic submitting to one another. And this is radical. That's the radical part. Husbands submitting in love to your wives like Christ. They didn't do that. Women were property. Why would you submit to your property? That isn't a thing. But we go to straight to verse 22. We skip verse 21. We skip everything else Paul says about the ethic of submission. And we just say, see, wives submit to the authority of your husbands. The end. This is the plain reading of scripture. And we ignore Paul's whole ethic in all of his letters and all of his writings. Because Paul, in light of Jesus, is calling Christians to not live in the mar of sin and death and patriarchy and hierarchy. He's saying, lay these things down. Live in the light of the kingdom of God where we submit to one another. In this kingdom, we lay our power down for the benefit of the one with less power. In this kingdom, We don't hoard power for our benefit. We give our power away to the one who has less. This is clear. I mean, we've already mentioned this verse, but Galatians 3.28, Paul explains that in the kingdom, there is no hierarchical distinction between gender or ethnicity, right? It's, we have no Jew or- I think that goes along with with Christ. Christ's definition of telling his his disciples that he that would be greatest must yeah. become the least. Yes. Like you have the to be, the, be first. The last will be first. The mm-hmm. the one who serves will be the Lord, not the yes. one who exercises authority, and that you're not to exercise authority like the Greeks do, but you're to serve one another the way I have served you. And so yes. You know, it's just, it's all pulling back to that, that one, you know, these teachings that Jesus taught us that it's not about us. It's Mm -hmm. about doing for others. Like we talked about last week, loving Mm -hmm. our neighbor is not about, you know, making me better. It's not about defining who my neighbor is. It's about putting my own needs aside to help someone else. And I think that, you know, that really comes back to what 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 Christ is teaching us here and mm-hmm. what Paul is saying about 
women and men's roles in the family and in the church and in all of those situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, like Jesus is also really clear about these things, right? Like he came to initiate the kingdom here and now, mm-hmm. not for us to, you know, wait to initiate the kingdom when we die. And so Paul's ethic of mutual submission and self-sacrificial love was radical when he said it. This isn't like a normal thing people talked about. This wasn't like a normal Jewish idea. This was radical. And it's still radical today. And so, I mean, Paul is saying this to men when women are literal property. Right. (laughs) Like, submit to your hamburger. Like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Like women were property. They weren't people. And so it's like respect your, even, even the idea in some circles of like respecting your children, like right. that would be, be the, the thought Unheard process, of. like mm-hmm. submit yourself to the wills of will of your children. That would be an equivalent that we could think about today that would make us, you know, oh, that's what he's mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And Paul's ethic is just over and over and over again to take power from the one who has more and to give it to the one who has less every time. That's why sometimes he says something to one church in Ephesus and something to another church in Colossae, and they don't match. The exact the exact commands and advice don't line up, but the overall ethic always does. Paul is always inviting us into a new way of life out of the mar of sin, out of the mar of patriarchy, out of the mar of hierarchy, the stain that it's left on the world. And he's inviting us to live in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. But we are choosing to pull selective verses and to say, nope, these verses are what we're going to go by instead of the overall ethic. And I just really, really think that that is just such a misunderstanding, such a misrepresentation of what Paul and Jesus say. Um, and I just think it's really disheartening that we're still struggling with this when to me, it seems Paul is so clear. Um, yeah. So we've already kind of started talking about Jesus, but uh, <laughs> what about the life or words of Jesus inspire you most about women's equality. I know we leave this question for last, but I think the reason why we do is because we want to end on the best, (laughs) you know, the, the pinnacle, the, the words of Jesus. Um, so yeah, what inspires. Yeah. So I, I really think that scripture as a whole has shaped how I feel about this, like learning Mm -hmm. about the words, the meanings of the words behind it. And I mentioned earlier, like I was going to talk a little bit about Azer Kendego, which is the word for help me. And I've actually got several, several different words, actually, because from, from Azer Kendego in Genesis 2, all the way through the Bible, through the, um, the Eshet Shatil, which is the woman of valor in, in Proverbs yes. 31, and yes. to the elect My lady. favorite the elect lady of, um, John two second John, it, when we're talking mm-hmm. about the woman who had that, it, I, I was just doing a brief search while I was talking, while you were talking. 
and not at all not paying attention to what you were saying. I totally was listening. <laughs> but Down at the it. same time, I was thinking about, well, I had never looked up elect lady and what that meant. And so I thought I would do a quick search. And the word used for lady there is curio or curia, which is the feminine form of curio, which means supreme in authority, a respectful title or master or sir. So it's mm -hmm. more of a madame, a, a lord and lady type of feel for that, that mm -hmm. who John was addressing. So mistress, someone in, in high authority. And mm -hmm. so, and there are all these women that are named and not named throughout the Bible where God shows us that he uses women just as frequently, speaks to them just as often as he does men. He, there's never a point where it's a surprise that God's talking to a woman. Like the women don't shock and awe. Oh my gosh, God is talking to me, lowly little me. You know, it, it's considered normal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's considered, you know, while, you know, God is speaking to them and it's not considered abnormal when they speak to men about the things that God has spoken to them about. Mm -hmm. Like Deborah is speaking to Barak and telling him, God is telling me that you need to go do this thing and you need to fight. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't question the fact that she heard from God. Mm -hmm. He questions his ability to do what God called, God was telling him through her to do, but he mm -hmm. wasn't questioning his, the fact that she said it, but I, I, you know, I, I used some, some Hebrew words early on, and I want to make sure that we go back and, and explain what those are. Azer Kendego is the word used in Genesis 2 when describing what is most commonly translated as the help meet. But <laughs> it, it's two things. One, we tend to combine that word into one word. Mm. Really, it's two words. It's a helper mm -hmm. meet or fit for him. So a helper and that word helper that is translated there is the same word helper that is used in God is my helper, my rock, my strong defense. So it's not like, like a, a rescuer, a rescuer. Yes. A rescuing helper. Um, there, I was going to look up this. It says there are 20, the word azer, which is that word to rescue or, mm -hmm. to, save or to be strong is used mm -hmm. 21 times in the Bible, twice for a woman, uh -huh. in Genesis 2.18 and 2.20. Mm -hmm. And it is used for nations who Israel appealed to for military aid three times. Yeah. Uh -huh. All the rest of the times, it's used for God as Israel's helper. So and when let you me guess, Lydia, is God like uh, making Israel dinner? <laughs> Is God yeah. making a sandwich? No, 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 no. This is all in military. Uh-huh. A military might, yeah. a military strength. So mm -hmm. these words are, we are warriors. Women are warriors. And the Kendega life means- Life-saving help. Yeah. Life-saving help. Um, Kendego means opposite as to him or corresponding as to him. Mm -hmm. It is not- coincidence that most people say opposites attract there's mm -hmm. a reason that we each of us have strengths that the other lacks 
that there are things. This isn't just on the girl side where we can say, oh, the girls are propping up the men, you know, type of thing, or the women are propping up the men and, you know, helping them because men are so weak. We need each other. Yes. But we fight together. Yeah. Not sitting on the sidelines. And I'm not sitting on the sidelines cheering my husband on and, you know, in the little, you know, not even a cheerleader type of situation, but more of a, you know, oh, I support him by making sure dinner is ready and da da da. Yes, that can be. And it can be for a time. It can also be for a time that, you know, he makes dinners. My husband's been making dinners quite a bit lately because I've been overwhelmed with work. It's a busy season in my, in my job right now. And so mm -hmm. he makes dinner because he's not overwhelmed with work. When mm -hmm. we're both overwhelmed with work, you know, we kind of divvy it up and yeah. see, you know, who does what. But the mm -hmm. idea is that we are a strength to a warrior who is on there. And if we look at um, the Proverbs 31 woman who is held up as, um, you know, as I said earlier, her, her name is, you know, the modern day, you know, the the ideal stay-at-home mom, you know, that submissive and mm -hmm. all of that, that's also completely false uh -huh. <laughs> because her name in Hebrew is Eshet Shatil, and Shatil means power resource army. Mm -hmm. And Eshet is from Isha, which means wife, woman, feminine a wife opposite mm -hmm. to her husband. So basically it's a woman of power, a woman yeah, of I've valor. Yeah, I've heard it, woman of valor. Yeah, Eshet Hayal is mm -hmm. woman of valor, but it wasn't, it was like a, like they would use it almost as like a, like a rallying, like go women, Eshet Hayal, yeah. like woman of yeah. valor. <laughs> Good for you, a amazing woman, strong woman. Yes. And so, you know, you're a strong woman and it wasn't a, the, the Proverbs 31, we, we poor American women have been beat over the head with that so mm -hmm. much. Like, this is what you should be. You know, this was a song of praise that the husband sang to her every Friday at Shabbat. Mm -hmm. So at Shabbat, when she yeah. likes the candles, her husband sings this over her uh -huh. and praises her as a blessing as you are this woman of valor and these yes. are the ways that you are making my life greater it mm -hmm. was never meant to be a burden or something that we had to live live up to mm -hmm. but rather a a source of praise and honor for the woman of valor yes mm -hmm. and so i think i mean just seeing this <laughs> just those mm -hmm. two words and those are my next tattoo, by the way. <laughs> We're getting the yes. woman of valor. <laughs> I love Eshet Heil. I love that word so much. Um, Rachel Held Evans, who passed away a couple years ago, actually talked about this a lot in her work. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've heard her talk about it on podcasts a ton, but the only one that's coming to mind, only because it's a comedy podcast, is Good Christian Fun. She talks about the Proverbs 31 women specifically, and this is a comedy podcast. And so just mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Um, but mm -hmm. she also brings like really good theological, you know, I mean, she's right. She's Rachel held Evan. So of course mm -hmm. she's bringing a theological fire, but she talks mm -hmm. about the Proverbs 31 women and Eshet Hyle and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today. So if this is like new for you, or you want to dive in more, 
while there are plenty of uh, serious theological resources, I would say that episode is like a lighthearted way of kind of diving in more. Yeah. Um, I would recommend yeah. it. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me. I'm, I'm taking from other resources yeah. to put this yeah. together and get this, this, you know, I didn't come up with this on my own, but finding these things out mm -hmm. made me excited that God made me a woman. Yes. Made me excited to be a woman, made me be able to take my place as a woman of valor, as a woman of strength, as a woman of respect, and not just the idea that I'm supposed to be a simpering princess waiting for my prince to arrive or God to do something or me to just sit here and hopefully it will happen for me someday. Mm -hmm. But I'm to go out and I'm to utilize this. And, you know, women, yes, the Bible does use women as an example of temptresses. Like there's those examples in Proverbs. But they, she is also wisdom is a woman. You know, honor and, and also, valor. Let's just say we've got some pretty, we've got some shady ladies in the Old Testament We've also got some evil dudes. So I feel like when we talk about this, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, women are temptresses. And it's like, oh yeah, like David raped a woman. Like right. we have bad examples all around. That doesn't right. mean all men are bad. And that doesn't mean all women are bad. It means some people are bad <laughs> or do bad things. Right, right. You know, Judah was a pretty bad dude. <laughs> Right. You know. it, like he's not an archetype for all men. Right. Just like Jezebel is not an archetype for all women. Like that right. isn't, that is like, but I think we use it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So we use, we use honorable men as the archetype for all men. And we use the shadiest of ladies in the book as the archetype for all women. And we mm -hmm. also blame Eve for sin in our culture. But if you actually read the text, the text itself blames Adam. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into that because we're already running long, but like, look, like search the word Eve or the woman in scripture and then search Adam and the word man in the new, like, you're just, it, it blames Adam it does not blame mm -hmm. Eve. That's all I'm going to yep. say. Yeah. So, I mean, even though we have those, I, that was where I was heading was the idea that we have equal on both sides. Like there are men who are bad dudes. There are women who are bad women, you know, but there are also equally men and women who honored God with their lives. Yes. And women are depicted as women of honor and women of valor and women of worth. And I think we need to get that into, uh, into our churches some more and, and start teaching on those things of how women were strong and women were, were fighters. And um, I think with Jesus, the clearest spot that we see this in his, his ministry, I mean, throughout his ministry, he has, you know, he interacts with women in a respectful way. He interacts with women in a loving way. He teaches women alongside of men. We see that with the Mary and Martha story. Mm -hmm. um, he wants them to draw near to him. But I think the place we see it the clearest is following his resurrection. Because mm -hmm. the women are the first to view the risen savior. 
they're the first ones he appears to and they are the first ones to preach essentially to tell the gospel that the good news that Jesus is alive again they're yes. the first ones that get to do that Jesus talks to the women I mean, this may have something to do with the fact that the women were the ones that followed him to the cross when the men completely abandoned him. You know, they, all the men ran away. John was there with his mom, with Mary, but essentially all of the men had abandoned him at that point. And so they, the women were the ones that were the first to see them when he rose. When we look at when the Great Commission was given to go and tell the world and preach the gospel, that was not given to just the disciples. It was not just given to those 12. It was given to the church as a whole as they were on that Mount of Olives. That church included women. Mm -hmm. So that commission went not just to the men, but to the women as well. Mm -hmm. um, that the when the holy spirit fell on the congregation it fell on the whole congregation mm -hmm. it wasn't just peter and the others while peter and the others were the ones that are talked about in that in that story but it wasn't just peter and the others that were gifted the gift of tongues mm -hmm. and the ability to prophesy and to preach and to do those things we see many examples of that throughout scriptures that women were preaching and teaching and doing those things um philip's daughters for example mm -hmm. were prophetesses after mm -hmm. the fact um aquila and priscilla and just all of the different different women junia. Mm -hmm. yeah junia um phoebe the deaconess you know yeah. there's a lot of women there's even some idea that and this one was new to me as a as a young as an adult i came to this knowledge that lydia was considered to be a preacher of mm -hmm. the church that was in her house like mm -hmm. growing up i had always been taught like oh she just opened her house and let them use it for people to preach but actually she was the yeah. one that was the pastor of that church and you know that makes me even prouder of my namesake <laughs> Right. You know, being named after her because that's a that's amazing but you know none of jesus or his followers had any shock that women were given these gifts nor did they restrict the use of those talents there are mm -hmm. special instances like you mentioned where paul talks specifically to a specific church about a specific issue that they were having within the church and about making their process orderly if you read Corinthians, it's all about the fact that they had chaos going on in that church and mm -hmm. everybody was kind of just speaking out of turn and talking to each other, talking over each other and kind of just, it was kind of a chaotic situation. And I, you know, mm -hmm. there are some churches where they aren't, you know, they don't restrict when the gifts are, are displayed and it kind of can lead to chaos. And so Paul was saying, hey, you need to keep, keep this in order and he was making it a simple thing in that instance there was an issue with women not knowing what they were talking about and speaking out and so they needed to wait and learn at home so that they could then go in and come back and 
not be interrupting what was going on. Well, and do you know what is really important about that? That goes yeah. in this ethic of power is that men were more well-educated than women. And so mm -hmm. when Paul is saying, go home and like have your husbands explain these things to you, what that really is saying is husbands, use your power, use your education and help your wives at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was saying they need to be taught you know, which right. was uncommon in that day for women to be taught this, yes. you know, what especially he's scripture, you know, so it was teaching, it women up. yeah, it wasn't about shutting them up. It was about teaching them so that they would understand and be able to fully participate in the ceremony. But mm -hmm. that is the only place where these talents are restricted. We see like first John and second John, where John addresses a whole letter to this cherished woman, this cherished woman of power, which some people say, you know, he's addressing a church and just using that title. I choose to believe that this was an actual woman that he yeah. was addressing and that she was perhaps, you know, the pastor or leader of that church. Mm -hmm. um, it also could have been, you know, a physical woman that you know he knew you know I don't I'm not trying to say this weird um it's coming out weird like maybe it was a romantic relationship that he had with sure. this woman you know it could have been a lot of the New Testament letters have a lot of things that we just don't know and I think it's really problematic when anytime there's multiple options right maybe it's this maybe it's this maybe it's this but we constantly choose the one that excludes women mm -hmm. when we have no proof that that's actually what's happening. And we have a good amount of proof that that's probably not what's happening. Right. <laughs> but we right. always, you know, because there's so much that like, we don't know who John wrote mm -hmm. his letter to. We right. don't know what we're missing from other letters Paul wrote. We just like, there's so much that we don't know, but we, uh, what, I see is that we always choose the interpretation that limits women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's because of the power dynamics and how we want to keep our power dynamics together. And mm -hmm. so I think, I think just seeing this as a whole, the scriptures, I mean, I, yes, I want to talk about Jesus and what he did in his relationship, but his relationship with women was really no different than the, than God's relationship with women throughout the Bible. Like, mm -hmm. God appeared to Hagar mm -hmm. and gave mm -hmm. her the first woman to name God. Right. And it gave her that, you know, that privilege. God didn't appear to Sarah. He appeared to Hagar, you know? And so he appears to women and uses women throughout scripture. Yeah. And I think that's just something. And when we see Jesus, we see Jesus continuing that. We see yeah. that continuation that yes, society didn't quite quite trust women society <laughs> has limited women's roles much mm -hmm. more than god intended um i think too when we're looking at scripture and we're looking at specifically the law leviticus and that sort of thing we mm -hmm. have to keep in mind that much of what was what we would view as restrictive today like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have to stay home after having a baby mm -hmm. for so many days was mm -hmm. in a culture where women bore the brunt of 
working hard Mm -hmm. where they were considered like they wanted to stay home for those days they had just had a baby right they didn't have the medical resources that we have today that if I get up and I start working hard after you know I mean me getting up and going right we want maternity leave. We mean, it's, they've, they've proven that the bonding for the mother and child is good, but not just that, but like physically, like if you get up and you go out and you have to start working in the fields, you are more likely to hemorrhage and bleed out after that. Get infections, all of it. All of that. Being considered unpure meant your husband didn't touch you for that length of time. That meant you got a break. <laughs> Not to be crude, but But, I mean, a woman, I have not had a baby. I've not had a baby. I'll be clear. All I'm going to say is I think I would also want that break after having a baby, but they didn't like, I, even if my doctor is, you know, saying, oh yeah, the day after you have a baby, you can have sex again. Like I can say, no, I don't want to do that. Those Mm -hmm. women did not have that freedom to say no. And so that mandate is actually for their health and safety and protection. Right. Because if the husband resumes those relationships too soon, you can end up damaging things and it can, it can be far worse. Infections. Again, infections and all of that stuff. And so a lot of this that we see in scripture that might seem, and I'm sorry, I'm going over time because this wasn't really in my in my thing, but I just thought of it and felt like I needed to say it right now. But, um, you know, a lot of those things are meant for their protection. And you have to look at it from that point of view that mm-hmm. this, it's not the same culture. It's not, you know, they didn't have a hospital to go to. They, they were working out in fields, you know, and having babies in barns, you know, traveling through the desert, you know, when these laws were written, they're they're wandering through the desert for months on end, you know? And so it's just like, they didn't have the same, it wasn't the same. And so Mm -hmm. having a week when you're on your period, I mean, there were times when I was on my period that I would have gladly missed work. Please send me to a tent. Yes. Let me, please exclude me from the, from the rest of the the culture for a week. I would like I would, I would like, like to volunteer as trained. <laughs> Thank you. I would like, I would like to go in a tent for a week and f- not be around society. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, but I mean, I mean that- it is like, it's like, it's funny, but I mean, Paul does this as well. Like some of the clobber passages, um, one of them where it's talking about, well, we have no other practice, but for women to be veiled. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why? Because women in that society were only allowed to veil if they were owned by a man, right? So their, their father or their husband, if they were unclaimed women, they could, or, or servants that were men, let's honestly, um, male servants, uh, male slaves and women who weren't veiled and weren't protected by a man could just be taken and, and raped legally at any point in time. So when Paul is saying all women inside of our churches veil, it's saying all women have protection against being raped 
all women have bodily like he was protecting them and they actually could have gotten in trouble for veiling but paul is still saying you know because unmarried women weren't allowed to veil but paul is saying all women here do that you you all are protected that is a protection that is not a um oh well women are veiled and they don't talk and they like you know it's it's elevating their bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and so that was just kind of my whole if we look at the bible as a whole and we look at the Mm -hmm. at the culture that it was written to and the culture that it was written in and the ways that these cultures interacted and the ways that women were interacted ways that women and men interacted in this culture and Mm -hmm. then we can see that god continually places protections around women he places i've i've heard a lot of people um be be very very harsh on the on the um the law of for the rapists for example so mm-hmm. if a man rapes a woman he's required to marry her um it's not she was required to marry him but he well, is also, required wow. to, to provide protection for her uh-huh. Because in that society, she was considered unmarriable at that point. Whether it was her fault or not, she would have been considered unmarriable. And if I remember right, I I would have to go back and look at the passage particularly to to verify this. But if I remember right, he um, it is based on her father's agreement whether or not she marries him. Well, and also it's, you didn't have, it's not like you were choosing a husband like we choose now. You already were being assigned a husband. Right. Right. And so it's not like, because I hear that and I go like, I'm so sorry. If a man raped me, I would not want him to marry me. But we aren't living in the same kind of culture that they were living in. Women were property. If a woman was raped, she wasn't marryable. He literally just ruined her entire hope of survival. Right. And so what that is saying is like, okay, you have done an awful thing, sir. And now you have to go and make it right by providing for her and protecting her. Yes. And that, and that's the point of these, these positions. It wasn't, yes. oh, we must make her marry her rapist. You know, it's right. not that it's more of, it's we a need, way of repentance, making it right. It's, it's the way of making sure that men couldn't just go out willy nilly right people and yes and not have any face any consequences for it 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 was the same with the laws surrounding the taking of captives and marrying one of the captive women they had to give them time to mourn their families before he could marry her before he could take her to his bed before he could Mm -hmm. do anything to her that was not to force these women into marriage with these men that was to protect them from being yes. raped and abandoned on the battlefield. Yes. You know, and, and so when Jesus is talking about divorce, mm-hmm. it's like men are trying to like divorce their wives and leave them destitute. And Jesus, you know, when we talk about, well, you can't get a divorce because Jesus says, it's like, okay, but why was Jesus saying this? Because men were trying to leave women on the side of the road defenseless. And Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Right. I'm so sorry, guys. Right. And we, we don't look at the fact that 
only men could issue an, a divorce in that time. Mm-hmm. So he was, yeah, he was addressing the men because only men could issue an, a, a divorce. A woman had no way to issue a divorce against an abusive husband because there was theoretically no such thing, you know, yeah. but, but, you know, God had ways of dealing with that in, in mm-hmm. some cases, not all cases, you know, I mean, sure. society wasn't perfect then it's not perfect now. Mm-hmm. you know we're gonna make mistakes but I think we should constantly be striving for a better society a better more equalized society and mm-hmm. a more equitable society where we're yeah we're looking at not just equality but equitableness you know mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. sure that women have the opportunity to make up for the things that you know child care mm-hmm. and those type of things take away from us so so that's part of it too. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to step back and quit talking now and ask Paige, how does the life of words of Jesus inspire you most in this area? Yeah, I'll be really brief. Um, cause I think we've already said a lot of good stuff and we're already over on time, but, um, I'm encouraged by so much in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus. And I know that, so like, I have genuinely found a way that I think is most faithful to the text where when I see like the clobber passages of Paul and you actually dig into what's going on, I think every single one of those actually elevates and protects women, mm-hmm. even when it seems like oppression, because our culture has no idea how women were really treated. And so, but even if somebody disagrees with every single one of those interpretations and and really does think Paul is trying to tell women to sit down and shut up and not lead and not teach and not preach, even though he says the opposite often, but even if that's really how you want to interpret scripture, what you think is most biblical or, or, you know, from most generous to least generous, wherever you land, if that's still where you land, I still, even if that really is what Paul is saying, which I don't think it is. I still think we have to prioritize Jesus over Paul, right? So yeah. even if what Paul is saying really is all of those what things, he meant. <laughs> which I don't think that's true. And anybody who mm. wants to talk to me privately about that, I can, I can, I can show my receipts. Mm. Um, and in the, in liturgical churches, so like, you know, um, Anglican, Episcopal, things like that, high church, um, when they read scripture, so they read from the Old Testament, they read from Proverbs, they read epistles, and they sit down and listen. When the gospel is read, they actually stand up for the gospel. They, they stand for the listening of the gospel. And that's a symbol that like, all of this is scripture, all of this is holy, but what we orient our lives around, what we will stand for, what we will prioritize is the words of Jesus and anything that doesn't line up with the words of Jesus, we have, we have to kind of orient ourselves differently. And that's, that's kind of how I take it. Right. So I prioritize Jesus. Jesus came to show us who God is to clear up confusion. Jesus is God in the physical. And so I privilege Jesus. And so even if Paul really does say all the things we think he says to oppress women, Jesus in the gospels included women in radical ways that Jewish leaders largely would have not done named women 
being included over and over in the gospels is radical in and of itself. Naming women in literature is radical in that time. So the fact that we even know Mary and Martha's names, the fact that we know the million Marys of the gospels names <laughs> is radical. It's radical inclusion. Um, you know, women were excluded from participation in synagogue worship. They couldn't go in the temple past the court of women. They were restricted to a spectator role. Um, a, you know, men and women couldn't even really talk to each other in public. So the fact that Jesus talked to women was also radical because that didn't, that didn't happen. You didn't talk to women you weren't married to at a well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus brushed aside all of this discrimination that was very common in his culture and did things that were very countercultural, but totally in line with what God did in the past. So, you know, it's in line with God, but radical for the culture. Um, he, I mean, he astonished his disciples by talking openly with a woman at Jacob's well in John four twenty seven. Some of his dearest friends are Mary's and Martha, <laughs> you know, who got several Mary's and a Martha. Um, there were many women who ministered to him following him. I mean, we see that in Mark 15, 41, Mary Magdalene, like you said, is the first preacher of the resurrection. A woman, a woman was the first one to proclaim and preach the resurrection of our Lord. She was the first one and women were not even considered to be legal witnesses. And that is who is proclaiming Jesus Christ is risen. And, um, like this is women, a woman is who our King chose to carry his resurrection news first. That's radical. And I mean, I'll keep it really brief because I think we've already said a lot of really good things, but it just seems really clear to me that Jesus radically included women in really countercultural ways in areas of life and ministry. And so while our culture looks very different and what was radical then seems oppressive now. Like I said, with Paul, we have to take the ethic of Jesus and apply the ethic of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Even when maybe we do not apply all of the very specific cultural commands, you know, but we take the ethic and we apply it today because our culture looks very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that we have to do that with Jesus and we have to do that with Paul. And if we really think that Paul is saying some restrictive things to women, then we have to look to Jesus and we just don't see that there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'll keep it short and I'll keep it there. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, I think just the final thought that I have is that whenever we see something looking semi-restrictive in scripture, we have to look at the whole of scripture to see where that where it falls and why that might be, you know, again, culturally, what, what was the culture of that time and how did that benefit or, or harm women during that time, as opposed to looking at it from our 21st century eyes. And then of course, looking at the whole of scripture and how, like I said before, it wasn't considered weird or abnormal for women to be in these roles. Um, Jesus says through the prophet Joel that he is going to bring, he is going to cause the women, young men and women to prophesy. 
And so your daughters will prophesy is in, in there and is part of that. So that is part of the coming of the Lord is that women will be gifted the ability to prophesy and to say these things. And this isn't abnormal. This isn't considered crazy. Like God spoke it's countercultural, but it yes, makes sense yes. in line with what God has said previously. Right, right. Like the culture didn't quite implement it quite right. Like, you know, we always mess it up when we try to apply what God tells us. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in that within that culture, it still wasn't completely abnormal. It still wasn't completely like Anna wasn't considered some weird phenomenon as being a woman who was a prophetess and who served God in that capacity. Like there were women that served God in certain capacities. It just wasn't at just most of the time, the, you know, big Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, they didn't have time to worry about these, these lowly, you know, God may call them, but you know, we're not going to spend our, waste our time teaching them, right? This type Mm -hmm. of thing. But it's not, you know, just kind of looking at the overall arc of scripture and where women's roles lie and how women are defined in scriptures. That is, to me, I think that it has been the most powerful that I've been looking at. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like I said, Jesus didn't change any of that. If anything, he amplified that. He amplified women's roles. He Mm -hmm taught the woman at the well he taught Mm -hmm. mary and told martha Mm -hmm. you know she's doing what's important she's learning from me yes and so you know that was that was that was radical for his time yes and so i think that's our that's where where i end up because that's what the overarching message of scripture is is that women and men both receive the gospel both receive the ability to teach and to preach and to pass that gospel along so there's not one above the other we're equal Mm -hmm. and we're co-laborers both Mm -hmm. in marriage in the church and in society in general Mm -hmm. yeah i think for me i would just encourage us as we're reading the scriptures that i used to take the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law right so it'd be like well women have to keep their mouth shut and they've got to wear veils there's no other practice in all the churches because of the angels and you're like I don't know what the heck he's talking about with these angels but okay and and that's like the letter of the law right like Mm -hmm. the instead of saying okay but why what is the ethic throughout the whole old testament that Instead of trying to say, I mean, they also don't mean anything to us in America. That right. doesn't, but that doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. right? So we can't, a lot of people do, I know people, you know, wearing hats, wearing like whatever, where they're like, well, no, we've got to keep this letter of the law. And it's like, but why was Paul saying that? It wasn't just to make a rule. He mm-hmm. was saying it to protect women. <laughs> and so veils don't protect women anymore. Mm-hmm. But do you know what does standing up against her abuser? Do you know what does, you know, like all of these other things. And so mm-hmm. I would really just encourage us to, instead of prioritizing the letter of the law, which we have tended to do, mm-hmm. I think we need to step back and say, what is the ethic 
right? Mm. When we look at something that seems to oppress women, but then we dig into the culture and find out that it was actually oppressing women and giving women power. Mm. Then I think instead of just saying, okay, well, even though at that time, this was giving women power and now it actually takes power away, that same action takes power away from women. Well, we've still got to do the thing. We've still got to do the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. I think that's a misuse of scripture. And I think right. we always have to take the ethic, the overarching ethic, which is giving equalizing power, taking power from the one who has too much and giving it to the one who has less always. And, and I think I would just encourage all of us to, you know, step away from some of our rule following and ask ourselves like, why is this rule here? And how can I apply the ethic and the moral to our lives today? And I think that in Jesus's time, he was radically inclusive of women. Paul was radically inclusive of women. And then all of a sudden now the church oppresses women. And I just think if Paul were here today and he like knew how we were using his verses, he would flip some tables, you know, <laughs> but have a real big problem with what we're doing with his words. And so I would just encourage all of us. Um, let's, let's look at the higher ethic. Let's look at the, the spirit of what is being said, because our culture is very different than it was 2000 years ago. And so all of these little rules are not going to make sense. And they didn't even all make sense together at that time. Mm-hmm. One church was told one thing, another church was told another thing. Like mm-hmm. we just have to be honest about that instead of trying to do all this weird puzzling to try mm-hmm. and make these things that don't fit fit. It's really easy to just say, well, the ethic is protecting women and submitting mm-hmm. power to one another. Okay. That is real clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when we can see that and we can see the overarching ethics that God wants us to, I think that was a lot of what Jesus talked about when he went into those deeper, deeper things where he said, you know, you've heard it said, yes, but I say that commits mm-hmm. murder is guilty. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I say whoever calls his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire. You know, right. and so he he took it further and he took it and he's like, it's not just about the action. It's not just about because the action is, you know, I've been trying to help teach that to my kids, too, is like your actions. Yes. You know, you hitting your brother is a bad action. Mm-hmm. But what's even worse or where did that action start? That action started with a thought in your heart that you were mad at your brother. And you probably focused on that all day long until it ended up spilling out of your heart and into your hand and onto your brother's shoulder. Right, right. And that happens with, you know, not just this, that happens with everything else. You know, when Jesus said, if you look on a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery. Jesus was taking that one step further and saying, it's not the letter of the law that matters. You can keep Mm -hmm. the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. it's the heart of the law that I want you to focus on. It's the things that are inside you that I mm-hmm. want you to focus on that, you know, that you are right with me because of that, because you yeah. are 
heart is right. And I want you to focus on those heart, the spirit of the law. And yeah. so I think, you know, and we see that over and over in Jesus's yeah. teachings and, you know, keeping the Sabbath and all of those different things. So what was the Sabbath meant for and all of that? And we can get, we could keep going all night yeah. <laughs> on this, but I really think, you know, for me, that's where, what it boils down to is like that literal, you know, it's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. And if the spirit yeah. of the law was protecting women, then we need to protect women today as well. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. means elevating them. That means make, giving them equal pay for equal work. That mm -hmm. means providing things that help them manage their children. It provides protection when they're in abusive situations and not telling them, oh, well, you have to go back to him because you, you made the choice and you married him. And so now you're stuck. And mm -hmm. it, it requires believing them when they tell us things about men that we can't possibly believe. I mean, you know, he's such a godly man. I can't see how, you know, he would have done such a thing. But then, yeah, he actually did that thing because, but because we didn't believe, you know, there were 200 other women that were harmed. And so, yeah, you know, just just all of those things I think are mm -hmm. super important for our, our, um, how we treat women in this world. Yeah. So. We have done a really good job of taking texts that were meant to liberate women and using them for the oppression of women. And I think Jesus would only have curse words to say about it. I think so too. So with that being said, <laughs> we did it. This is our discussion, our really brief discussion on women's brief. equality. Um, I think when we start getting into topics that we don't feel so, like a lot of these up front are designed to lay a lot of foundation. And so I think obviously we both have a lot of experience with this topic. And so I think that's, you know, makes sense that we went a little bit longer because. I think I'm just going to give up trying to make this an hour long and just go with the fact we're doing it for two hours and, you know people get tired there's a pause button you can always come back and listen to us you know yeah. later and that's the benefit of podcasts too I don't I mean we um have this on anchor and and other places so if that is easier you know I know these are going longer um if you would like to forego our gorgeous faces and, and if that's an easier way to kind of pick up and listen in the car and you're not you don't have to have it on your screen um, that might be an easier way for this to be accessible, but we will continue, um, our discussion next week on, um, wealth and poverty. I think the Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, I actually did a little bit of research for that this morning, um, just so I can kind of get some of my thoughts oriented. So that should be another really good conversation. We hope that these conversations are a good model for you. Um, to start digging into these hard topics in your own lives um, and have these kinds of discussions with people that you know. And so with that being said, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right. That is the latest episode of Tough Topics, conversations where faith and politics collide. We're so glad that you've joined us in this weird corner of the internet where my friend Lydia and I get to discuss the things that we really think matter. And we hope that our conversations encourage you to have these kinds of discussions in your real life as well. 
You can subscribe in any of your favorite podcast locations. You can check out the video link in the show notes if you prefer to see our shining faces. But above all else, we're just so grateful that you would join us in these conversations. We'll see you next time. Thank you.